Let's continue worshiping the Lord in song, hymn number 666. Don't be uh, freaked out by the number of the hymn. Uh, that has nothing to do with anything, it's just a number. Uh, Jesus, where'er thy people meet, let's stand together and sing. Please be seated. It's a great prayer that we just sang uh, for the church and for the Lord building it up. And I think uh, William Cooper, who wrote the words to the song, was one of the most discouraged, depressed people uh, you would ever meet. He uh, tried to commit suicide several times <clears throat> in his life. He was... Uh, very close and a parishioner of John Newton, the famous uh, hymn writer himself who wrote Amazing Grace, among other hymns. But uh, William Cooper uh, really struggled with uh, discouragement and depression. And uh, you just hear the, the prayer that he, pray, that he prays in the song, uh, that the Lord would come down and meet with him and meet with his people. And, and I find a great encouragement in that thought that someone who struggled kept in faith reaching out to the Lord. And I hope that we will do the same today because I really want to encourage you today from God's word. 
Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and I invite you to turn with me there. 1 Thessalonians 1. Before we read God's word, let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would illuminate us, shine your light so that we can see wonderful things in your word, which is wonderful, Lord, every word of it. And we thank you for it. We pray, Lord, that, that these words of life that we read would indeed give us life, strengthen the life that you have given us, build us up in our holy faith, make us more like Christ. Especially pray, Lord, today that we would be encouraged by what we read here and as we contemplate who you are and, and what you do and have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll start reading in verse 2 and read down through the end of chapter 1 from God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. May God bless his word to us this morning. Well, today is Veterans Day, and we are thankful for all of you who are serving or have served in our nation's military. Of course, Veterans Day was originally called Armistice Day because it was uh, uh, initiated to mark the end of World War I. President uh, Woodrow Wilson issued an address marking the first or the one-year anniversary uh, of the end of World War I in 1919, and uh, on a side note, President Wilson was a frequent visitor to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and he actually, on several occasions, worshipped in this congregation. Of course, not in this building, because the church was located down on Howard Avenue back in those days, but he worshipped, he was a Presbyterian, and he worshipped uh, in Biloxi, at First Pres Biloxi. That's kind of exciting. But, uh, but, in, uh, but he, uh, he began to commemorate the day, Armistice Day. And in the 1940s, Armistice Day was expanded to honor all veterans and was officially changed to Veterans Day in 1954. So all of you who have served, we give thanks to you and for you. Now, giving thanks for someone is a way to encourage and and that's what Paul is doing here in the in the letter that we just read if you notice in verse 2 Paul begins we give thanks to God always for we give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you 
in our prayers. And he goes on. Uh, the Thessalonians that he's writing to were new believers who lived in a very hostile environment. If you read about Paul's visit there, Paul went, he preached, uh, he was there for a few weeks, and uh, people were converted, uh, but uh, an opposition uh, arose, and uh, a riot broke forth. They had to sneak Paul out in the middle of the night, so his visit to Thessalonica was cut short. So Paul went ahead and traveled on to Berea, uh, to Athens, and uh, on to Corinth, and when he was in Athens, he was concerned about this, these young believers in Thessalonica. So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on these, these uh, baby Christians. And so by the time he gets to Corinth, Timothy catches back up with Paul. And Paul gets the report that they, uh, the little church there in Thessalonica is continuing in the faith. So Paul is really excited. And he sits down and pens the letter before us. And he wants to encourage these young believers in Thessalonica to continue on as they are doing. And so I think as we uh, look at what he's written here to these young believers, we as well can draw encouragement from, from Paul's words. Because what is, true, uh, what is true of the Thessalonican believers that's written here is true of us as well. And we can apply it to our situation here, even today. And today I want to, incur, uh, to particularly focus on verses 4 and 5. Uh, he is writing to encourage these believers, and we can be encouraged by these words. Verse 4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. Paul knows something about these Thessalonican believers and he tells us how he knows it. And that's what I want us to explore today and be encouraged by today. We can be encouraged by what we read here because it tells us, first of all, what is true of believers and second of all, how we know it is true. And uh, let's look at those in turn. First, we see what is true of believers. Paul reminds us of what is true of all Christians here in verse 4. Christians are beloved members of God's family by his sovereign choice. There are three truths mentioned here in verse 4. We want to look at each one in turn, in their logical order. Christians are loved, they are chosen, and they are adopted. And this is really great news and should be an encouragement to all, all of us because, because, first of all, Christians are loved. Isn't it great to be loved? And especially by the God of the universe. There's no one uh, more important to be loved by, and God is love. And God loves his people. Everything flows to the believer from God's love. And it should be the starting place for all of our thoughts of God but in reality, it's often not. I've given you a quote by John Owen there in the outline, and, and it's so good and hits the mark so precisely. I want you to read along with me. This is from his little, well, I have an abridged version because John Owen is notoriously difficult to read, and someone has uh, done a good job updating the language and making it a little easier to read. 
And so I'm giving you this version of it. But if you go look for it online, you'll, you'll find Owen a bit laborious to read. I think he was writing in Latin, and the translation is not very good. But anyway, here, here we go. John Owen writes this in the book Communion with God. Let us then see the Father as full of love to us. Do not see the Father as one who is angry, but as one who is most kind and gentle. Let us see the Father as one who from eternity has always had kind thoughts towards us. It is a complete misunderstanding of the Father that makes us want to run away and hide from Him. The psalmist said, They that know you will put their trust in you. How sad that we cannot stay long with God in spiritual meditations. The Father loses the company of His people because they are so ignorant of His love to them. His saints keep thinking only of His terrible majesty, severity, and greatness, and so their hearts are not drawn to Him in love. We must learn to think of his everlasting gentleness and compassion. We must remember his kind thoughts towards us, which have been from eternity. Let us remember how eager and willing he is to accept us. If we did this, then we would not be able to bear one hour's absence from him. Instead, we find it difficult to spend even one hour with him. Let then this be the first thought that we have of the Father, that he is full of eternal love to us. Let our hearts and thoughts be filled with his love to us, even though many discouragements may lie in our way. I just love that quote. Because it is easy for us to fall into a pattern of thinking only of God's judgment and severity. As we look at ourselves, we see how far short we fall. We, we note our failings. We uh, live with guilt and we think that God is not for us, but rather against us. But Paul reminds the Thessalonians, first of all, that they are beloved, that they are loved by God. And that's something that we need to be reminded of as well, that God loves his people. And everything that we have is because of his love. It's nothing that be, can be attributed to our own merit. We bring nothing to the relationship but our sin. And he showers us with his grace and love. So first of all, what is true of believers is that they are loved by God. And secondly, and it goes along with being loved, is that we are chosen. Because God's love is the basis of his choice. Now this is uh, something that people get confused all the time. God, the, the scriptures are full of uh, this idea that God chooses his people, the elect. He predestines them. It's in Scripture. But the basis of it is not because someone's done something to merit this choosing. Um, when I was in elementary school, I was a really good kickball player. I don't know if any of you played kickball, but I could kick the ball a long ways. And so when it came time to choose up sides, I usually got picked first. And, and that was a great source of pride for me. Uh, and that felt good. And, I, you know, maybe you were one of the people that got picked last, and I'm sorry about that. That's a terrible feeling to be picked last. Nobody wants you on your team. But this is not like that. See, that was based on some merit. Nothing great about being able to kick a ball, I guess. But here in Christianity, the choosing is completely based on the fact that just God, God's love. It has nothing to do with our own merit or deserving it. God made this clear 
to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Verses 6 through 8. God says through Moses to the Israelites, You are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Time and again, God reminds the people that he chose them, not for any merit in them, but just because he loved them. He set his love upon them. He chose them. See, that goes hand in hand. Love and choosing go hand in hand. And Peter picks this language up in the New Testament. He uses the same language that Moses did in 1 Peter 2.9. Peter tells believers, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter is identifying... The, the New Testament people of God, Jews and Gentiles, as being the chosen people of God. And Paul, of course, picks that up and says the Gentiles have been grafted in to that olive tree. We've been grafted into the chosen people of God. And what a privilege that is to be chosen, that, that someone just loves you and chooses you. I had the privilege of hearing a preacher one time who had been adopted. And he was preaching on adoption. And that was really special because he was not adopted as an infant. He was adopted when he was about nine years old. And uh, the, the woman came to the adoption agency to adopt him. And she had, they had a book there with all the pictures in it. And she went through and she said, that one, I want him. And he was picked, chosen, and brought into her family and raised and became a minister. And boy, what a lovely testimony it is to, to think about uh, someone being conscious of being adopted and sharing that. Well, as Christians, we need to be conscious that, yes, we have been chosen and adopted. That brings us to the third thing that we see here. Throughout the New Testament, this idea of being loved and chosen and adopted goes hand in hand. Ephesians chapter 1 he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, don't be offended, ladies, by the idea that we're adopted as sons. I've said this before. But in those days, sons received the inheritance. Women didn't receive the inheritance. So Paul is talking to the church that's full of women and men. and saying, you, you all have the status as sons. You're sons and daughters. But in those days, sons got the inheritance. Daughters did not. And he says this in Ephesians 1.11, just a few verses down. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things out according to the counsel of his will. You see, he has loved us, chosen us, 
adopted us into his family, and he has given us full rights of being members of that family, a full inheritance. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. What great love he has demonstrated to us. And Paul is reminding the Thessalonican church that they are indeed loved and chosen and adopted into God's family. They were going through some difficult times. You know, you read about it in Acts when Paul went to Thessalonica, and you read about the opposition that, that, that opposed the church, threatened the church. Paul went on and, and snuck out at night to Berea. The Thessalonican opposition to the church was so, uh, so rabid that they followed them to Berea and persecuted them there as well. So the Thessalonians probably lived in the midst of great discouragement and difficulty. And Paul is just reminding them, look, don't ever forget, no matter what discouragements come your way, no matter what difficulty, no matter if you're prone to wander, as the hymn we just heard says, if you're one of his people, you are loved, you are chosen, and you are adopted. God loves you, chose you, adopted you into his family. He loved you, and he showed it by sending his son Jesus. See, his love for us didn't start after Jesus came and died for sinners. His love is an everlasting love. Before time began. Gerhardus Voss wrote somewhere, you know, how do we know that God's love won't uh, come to an end? Because it never had a beginning. I have loved you with an everlasting love, God says, of his people. And that's true of us as well, if we are his people. So how do we know? How do we know what's true about us? You know, Paul there in verse 4 says, I know that you are brothers loved by God and chosen by him. And verse 5 tells us why. Because... Our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. So how do you know you're one of these chosen, loved children of God? Well, it tells us right there. The gospel comes to you in three ways. In word, power, and in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And let's just think about those three things for a moment. First of all, the gospel uh, let me, before we dive into the three things, the gospel comes to you. What is the gospel? You know, we throw that word around in the church a lot. The word gospel, of course, means good news. It's an announcement. It's news. It's not instruction. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's an announcement of something that has happened. It's an announcement that Christ came, the, the Son of God came, lay down his life for sinners such as we are so that we can be adopted into his family, so that we can be his people. Christ has made it possible for that to be true of us. He is, he, he, the gospel is the announcement of that victory that Jesus has for his people. Now when we receive good news, you know, we... We accept it and we uh, respond to it, right? We, we get, have an appropriate response. If uh, the IRS sends you a notice and, 
says, you've gotten a huge refund. And, uh, well, you rejoice, don't you? You say, yes, I've gotten this re-, And you, you take the check and you cash the check. You respond in an appropriate way because it's the good news that you've received. In the same way, we hear this good news and we react to it. How do we react to this good news? We believe it and we embrace it. And like the Thessalonians that you read about in verse 9 and 10, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And you wait for his son from heaven whom you raise from the dead Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, they heard the good news and they responded to the good news. So the word, this gospel, came to them in word, first of all. Let's look at the three, three ways that he describes it. It came, he says, not only in word. It did come to them in word form. In our day, words, you know, people want to get rid of words, don't want words. Don't want preaching. Don't want a multiplication of words. But the gospel is words. It's news. Not just words alone. There were words, however. Uh, the gospel comes to us in words. Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes from hearing. You have to hear it. You have to hear the, the word. God sends forth his word. Isaiah 55. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. It's important to hear the word. To hear it, because God sends it forth. He's given it to us, and it does its work. Paul's noting that it came to you, brothers. The gospel came to you not only in words. See, many of us stop there. We know the truth, we've heard the truth, but there's been no reaction. There's been no response. It's something that we just have as head knowledge. And he's saying that's not true of you, Thessalonians. You got it in the, you got the word, but it's not. But you didn't just get the word, because it came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit gave you ears to hear it, and eyes to see it, and a softened heart to accept it. See, the Holy Spirit exercised power on these Thessalonians and change their hearts so that they threw their idols to the side and served the living and true God and followed Jesus who delivers them from the wrath to come. They believed what they heard about Jesus and they responded appropriately because the Spirit was at work. The Spirit changed their hearts, changed their lives. They didn't just hear the Word. They didn't just learn the Word. The Spirit changed them through the Word. And that's what Paul saw in their lives. And he could confidently say, because of that, because the word came to you and empowering the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction, we'll talk about in a moment, that it came to them and their lives were changed. So I'm confident that you are those brothers who are loved by God, who have been chosen by him.
So let's look at that last one, with full conviction. So the Spirit worked in their lives, changed their hearts, and, and they embraced the truth fully. That word, this translated full conviction means uh, a fullness. It's the word fullness and certainty together. Uh, a fullness of certainty. They heard the truth and they believed it. They embraced it. You know, we can say we believe certain things, and we can say all the right words about what we believe, but if we're not responding to it appropriately or responding in a way that shows that we believe it, we don't really believe it, right? I mean, if you can say, well, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and you can repeat the Apostles' Creed or any creed that you want to repeat, but if it doesn't inform the way that you live, you're just saying words. You're just, you're just repeating the words. Has, has the word come to you with full conviction? The power of the Holy Spirit, have you embraced it in your lives? Now, of course, we're prone to wander, as we sang. Uh, sometimes we do uh, fail to live up to the things that we say we believe. It doesn't mean we don't believe them. It just means that we, God's working on us still. We're a pro, uh, project in, in, uh, in process. But there should be this desire that the Lord would, would, would make the... What, he, what he's written about his people, the, what he's calling his people to be, holy people for himself, that that's, that's at the center of our hearts. We want that to happen for us. We want to be those people who look like Christ. And you see what, you know, the, the testimony that Paul gives about their lives there in verse 6. Uh, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. You received the word even in much affliction. You know, that turning to Christ in, in their environment was one that was very dangerous. But they received it in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They were rejoicing to hear this news. And as verse 9 tells us again, you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The question for us today is, has this happened to you? Has the gospel come to you, not just in word, but in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction? If so, if that's true of you, then you can rejoice because you are loved and chosen and God's adopted people. Let's pray together. Lord, we do pray that you would grant us full conviction of the gospel. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to grasp it not only with our minds, but with our hearts as well. And Lord, as we contemplate the, the great love that you have for us, demonstrated to us by Christ dying for us, by Christ paying the penalty for our sins, uh, Lord, as we think about Christ rising from the dead, the perfect sacrifice that death could not hold down. Lord, may our hearts be drawn in, back in love with you. you we, would, we pray that we would love because we grasp that you first loved us and demonstrated it by sending Christ into the world for us. Lord, we pray for anyone who, who doesn't have that confidence today that, Lord they would hear the gospel, that they would turn to Christ. And, Lord, 
We know that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And we pray, Lord, that you would fill their hearts with confidence in your great love, your choice, and the joy of being a part of your family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.